Hello everybody. This sermon is based on Matthew 3 verses 1 to 17 and it's entitled Lessons in Repentance. In 2018, Princess Anne came to Isla as part of the World War I centenary commemorations. The whole island certainly put some effort in to prepare for her arrival. Potholes in the road were filled in and duckboards were laid across the O. Signs were painted, flowers were planted and litter was cleared from the streets. Pipers and choirs all rehearsed their songs and dignitaries practised their speeches. The navy moved their boats around, the children made flags and journalists started flying in. Apparently when the day finally came, the whole island nearly ground to a halt. And this was for Princess Anne. Imagine if it had been the Queen coming to our island. The preparation for her arrival would have taken all year. When we know we're going to meet someone important, we all naturally begin busily preparing for the occasion. In our reading today, John was preparing the way for a VIP. He was preparing the way for the King, the King of Kings, God's Son, the Messiah. But John did not tell the people to put on their best suit or grab a flag. He did not tell them to practice a song or learn how to curtsy. John was very clear. The way you prepare for the arrival of God's promised Messiah is through repentance. And for a few moments, we're going to explore what that means. John the Baptist was the last of God's prophets in the mould of the Old Testament. Their job was to call the people back to God and his ways. Over the years, God's people had often strayed down wrong paths, their faith being reduced to apathy and their behaviour deteriorating as a result. The prophets called them to turn around, to come back and put their relationship right with the Lord, to feel remorse over their sin, confess it and abandon it. This call to repentance was always far more than just saying sorry. It was the call to thoroughly change their heart, mind and actions. John is the final prophet with this calling. Only his is all the more urgent. Because after his own miraculous birth, John knows the Messiah is finally coming. God's kingdom has drawn near. Matthew 3 describes John's ministry to us and teaches us some important lessons about what true repentance still looks like today. This week we have celebrated the birth of the king. But the question is now, will we truly welcome him into our lives? The first thing John shows us is that if we want Jesus to come into our lives, we have to clear any obstacles. Repentance involves preparing the way. This was part of John's teaching that the prophet Isaiah foretold he would carry out centuries before his arrival. Isaiah foresaw a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. I've been to the American Monument on Isla several times. I've walked the duck boards that were put in place for Princess Anne. The way was prepared across the bog so that the royal feet need not get wet. So too we need to clear the obstacles out of our lives that might hinder reception of Jesus. 
It's a good question to ask ourselves at the turn of the year what these obstacles might be. Maybe we can resolve to shift them. Perhaps we're too busy to make time for God. Church and Bible reading and prayer too often get squeezed out of our routines. Perhaps there's a particular temptation that we've given into that now has a hold on our life. Perhaps the obstacle is pain. We've suffered somewhere and we now struggle to trust God enough to open our hearts to him again. Only you will know the answer to the question, what is blocking the path to your heart? But John shows us that repentance means consciously clearing it out the way. The second thing John shows us is that if we want Jesus to come as king into our heart, we may have to dethrone the king that is already there. For no human heart is a vacuum. There will be something in place leading our desires. It's no coincidence that John arrived in the desert dressed like the prophet Elijah from the Old Testament. Elijah famously challenged King Ahab, the ruler on Israel's throne at the time, for he was leading the people astray to worship foreign gods. And John has exactly the same message. He is challenging the ruler of the people's hearts. There is no doubt that by wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and honey, John was standing with the poor in the land. By doing so, he was condemning the rich who flounced around in their luxurious finery, wearing and eating the best on offer without any second thought to those going without. Just in the way he dressed and the content of his diet, John was challenging those in the lands whose hearts were ruled by money and materialism. They were ignoring God's word to look after the poor so they could selfishly amass more for themselves. And still today, one of the biggest obstacles to people receiving Jesus is that they already have a king reigning over their heart and it is money, possessions, luxury. It's impossible to look after the poor and give to those in need like Jesus would later ask if it is money ruling over our desires. These two kings are mutually exclusive. You cannot serve both God and money, as Jesus goes on to say. So John was walking in the desert, calling the people. The Messiah is coming. God's king is about to arrive, but he'll be no good to you if you already have a king sitting on the throne of your heart in his place. Repentance means truly changing the king of your heart, putting God first and foremost once more as he should be. Maybe in 2020 we've started to look to the wrong things. We've been driven by the wrong desires. Maybe we have to dethrone our idols and allow Jesus to be truly king once more. Finally, John shows us that if we're going to truly repent, it must be wholehearted. There are no half measures. Repentance means a brand new start. John chose the location for his ministry very deliberately. He spoke in the desert. Why? Because it was not easy to go to the desert. Particularly for the city dwellers of Jerusalem, it would take effort to go and hear him. They'd have to really want to do it. He also chose the Jordan River deliberately for his baptisms as well. 
The Jordan River was the river Israel crossed back in the book of Joshua to enter the promised land. It was the true start for them as a nation. John is saying, by confessing your sin and turning to God, you are seeking a whole new start in your life. And it's also public, isn't it? We don't bath with people washing. We wash in private. But here is John symbolically washing away people's sins through baptism in full view of everyone. Each person publicly declaring that they are a sinner and need forgiveness. Each person publicly declaring that they've gone wrong in their life, but now want to stop, come back and obey the Lord as they should. And this is very deliberate. John is showing the people that to welcome the Messiah, we must give him our whole heart. Jesus is the King of Kings, the sovereign of the universe. He is worthy of radical commitment, total trust, love with all our heart, soul and mind. Repentance is saying, I want to know God. I want to walk with God. I want to follow God in everything I do. He will have all that I am. He will have my very best. I will make mistakes for sure. I won't be perfect. But from this moment on, I will live a life defined by my relationship with the king. And I hope we can all see that John's teaching is just as relevant today as it was 2000 years ago. We have celebrated the arrival of Jesus this week. We have declared that he is Emmanuel, God with us. We have sung glory to the king. But is he really king of our hearts and lives? All of Isla prepared for Princess Anne, but not all of Isla have prepared for Jesus. What about us? And maybe as the year turns, we need to take the opportunity to truly repent, to turn our lives around. Maybe we need to clear out the obstacles, dethrone the idols and give Jesus our wholehearted worship and obedience. So we have answered the question, what is repentance? And we have seen that it is the only way to prepare for the arrival of Jesus. The next question I want us to look at is this. Is John's call to repentance a warning or an invitation, a threat or a glorious opportunity? The word repentance gets a lot of bad press today. It's seen as a negative word used only by religious fundamentalists who want to squeeze the life out of a person. I want to argue from this passage that the very opposite is true. It's undeniable that verses 7 to 10 do indeed carry a strong warning, the announcement of danger to the stubbornly unrepentant. But as we shall see, that is only half the story. As John is baptising in the desert, some religious leaders come sidling up to him. It's immediately very clear that these figures are going to give us an example of how not to respond to John's call. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were perfect examples of people who lived with the wrong king ruling over their hearts. They were both driven by the desire for power. And John knows you cannot maintain your personal quest for power and seek to be a servant of God's king. 
if you try to do both, that's not repentance. It's not the wholehearted commitment required. These religious figures, they've not come to John with sincerity of heart, but to inspect what he is doing and ultimately try to overrule him. And John immediately sees through their hypocrisy and calls it out. These so-called leaders are a danger to the very people they're supposed to serve. They are a brood of venomous vipers leading the people astray from true faith. And John calls the Pharisees and the Sadducees to be a proper example to their public by repenting properly, by honestly and openly preparing their hearts but they repeatedly fail. Consequently, John announces that serious judgment is coming their way, judgment by axe and fire. And what we learn from this is that a personal's individual response to God's call matters. Even the Jews could not just rely on their heritage. The call to repentance is a matter of the heart and we are responsible for our own hearts. And our heart's desires are always plainly evident to the Lord because they produce fruit. They determine our words and our actions. The offer of the gospel is an invitation. The giving of Jesus to us is the greatest invitation of love, but it must be accepted wholeheartedly. Through Jesus, we are invited to live in God's kingdom forevermore. But God does not force anyone to be in his kingdom that does not want to be there. And therefore, at a certain time, a judgment must take place. Those who choose against God, who turn down his offer of love by remaining stubbornly unrepentant, will miss out on the life that God wants to give them. But those who choose to give God their whole hearts will discover the truth of a wonderful promise. After John has announced this warning to the religious leaders of the day, he turns in verses 11 and 12 to announce what the coming Messiah will do. John said, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Here is the great promise of the gospel. If you repent from your sin and turn in faith to Jesus the King, you will receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who in the beginning supplied the power for all things to be created. The spirit who had the potential and the artistry to bring to bear a child from the Virgin Mary's womb. The Holy Spirit is the great life force of God in the world. And that is why the call to repentance should be seen as a, a wonderful invitation, a glorious opportunity. Because if we obey it, we will receive the spirit. We will know God's own life welling up inside of us and giving us all we need to survive and thrive. Sincere repentance opens the door to the fullest life we could possibly imagine. Repentance doesn't restrict us or depress us. It opens us out to the richest life on offer. Our passage ended with the perfect example of this promise coming true. 
the perfect example as opposed to the sorry example of insincerity demonstrated by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In verse 13, Jesus arrives on the scene. Thirty years on from the birth at Bethlehem, he's almost unrecognisable. He doesn't look like a mighty king or a military conqueror. Rather, he is a solitary figure from an insignificant place. And again, even in this detail, we see that Jesus will not force us to respond to him. He invites us with love. He's come to serve us with his life. And Jesus queues up by the Jordan alongside everybody else to be baptised by John. Why? Well, that is a good question. Why does the perfect son of God need to repent? Why does he need to be baptised? Even John is stumped by this. But Jesus simply answers, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfil all righteousness. In this moment, Jesus is obediently accepting the Father's call on his life. As he stands on the bank in the footprints of God's people who have acknowledged their sin, he identifies with that sin and takes it on to himself, so later he can dispose of it on the cross. But Jesus also gets baptised to set us the perfect example to follow, to show us how to enter into the path of faith. He is our great teacher and he is showing again what repentance and faith look like. It is a total submission to God. And as a result of this, Jesus receives for himself the great promise of God. As he opens his heart, the Father fills it with his spirit. After coming out of the water, the spirit descends on Jesus in the most beautiful form, like a peaceful dove gently lighting upon him. And in that moment, Jesus is equipped for all that lies ahead of him. He has the power now for his miracles. He has the power to withstand temptation. He has the power to give his life in service. Jesus lived the richest, fullest, most beautiful life in the history of the world and it was enabled by the Holy Spirit filling him from top to bottom. And at the same time he gets that wonderful affirmation from his father, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. With words of affection like that ringing in your ears, how can you not go on to do great things? So here is the offer. Here is the invitation. Here is the glorious opportunity. If we repent from our sin, if we clear all the obstacles out the way to our heart, if we dethrone the idols currently in place, if we choose to obey God wholeheartedly, we will receive God's fullest life within us. This is the promise for us all as 2021 stretches out ahead of us. We don't know what will happen in the days ahead, but we will know the Holy Spirit living and at work within us. We will know the Father's affirmation and affection spurring us on. And when the day comes and we have to stand in the presence of the judging king, we will know that we're heading for life in the kingdom, not death outside of it. The call to repentance is a warning, but it is much more than that. 
It is the invitation to the fullest of life, a life that will last eternity. And I urge us to consider this today. The path to God is repentance, faith in Christ, baptism. Have we walked it yet? If we haven't, think about it and come and see me. It'll be the best way to start the new year. And if we have, let's make sure we're still living wholeheartedly for Jesus, just as we once were. If we prepare more space in our hearts for the King, he will not delay his arrival among us.